Good catch. Morning, guys. Yeah, just a heads up, in terms of uh, the men's gathering on Wednesday, uh, we're not meeting here in the space, we're meeting at Dunya Restaurant, which is a kebab place, so do join us for that, nice and healthy for the men to meet together. Um, but it's just a, a social, and it's a way for us to, to connect, hopefully with a few of the football guys that Samuel had mentioned, uh, so do pray that God would use that time, and obviously for the ladies as well, pray that God would uh, be at work uh, in their time together. Uh, this morning, uh, we continue on. Uh, in our series titled The Last Things. Uh, last week we spent time digging into Psalm 90, uh, a prayer of Moses. Uh, we thought about death, uh, what death is. We looked together at why it is we die. We reflected on how it is we can respond in our lives to the sure and certain prospect of death. Uh, and this morning we're going to be focusing on what happens after we die. Uh, we're looking at the subject of judgment uh, a subject when we understand uh, what it means uh, for each one of us, this ought to be something of huge significance and importance as we go about our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, judgment is an important thing for us to think about in the midst of the ordinary stuff uh, of life. And as we take time to unpack this subject of judgment this morning, there are a number of passages we could take time to look at together. So we could spend the next five hours looking at a number of different passages. I'm not going to do that, don't worry. Uh, but two that really stand out, two that are arguably the most important because of their clarity are Revelation 20 and verses 11 through to 15 and 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 9 to 10. So if you have your Bibles, let's have a look at these passages. I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. The words are going to be up on the screen as well. Let's begin in Revelation. The Apostle John uh, says this uh, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them I also saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened another book was opened which is a book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And in 2 Corinthians 5 and 9 to 10, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Amen. Let's just take a moment to pray. So, Father, we, we recognise that this again is a, another a challenging subject for us to look at. <clears throat> but Lord, we want to we want to come before your word and we want to be open to what your word says. We don't want to hide from your word like in Genesis 3. We want to be open to what your word says and we want to choose to be a people who respond in faith and in obedience to you. So we ask that you would take this time. Lord, I ask that you would guide my words. 
I pray that you would direct our hearts together, that we would understand with certainty what your word says. We would choose to respond in faith. And we pray, Lord, that lives would be changed by our time. Today, we, we pray that as we take time to understand what these passages say and what they mean, that our hearts and our minds would be completely transformed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when it comes to the subject of judgment, um, I don't know if you can relate to my own experience as I reflect upon this subject within my own life. Uh, within the church, uh, amongst believers, because if we're honest this morning, no one outside of a Christian background really talks about judgment unless we're from a different faith. There has tended to be one of three responses uh, to this subject. Uh, similar to our subject matter last week, as we, as we spent time looking at death, there can often be what I'm going to describe as a determined avoidance, an avoidance around this subject of judgment. We do not like judgment as a category in and of itself. And none of us like to be judged by others in general. So to talk about the God of the universe as judge over each one of us would without question be a step too far or many steps too far. Um, as we mentioned last week, in our culture, comfort is so often what drives our lives. And any conversation, any focus around judgment, which is undeniably uncomfortable, will certainly be avoided. Is that true? Would we agree with that? So that's the first response uh, we can have as we think about the subject of judgment. Alongside avoidance, the second response to this subject of judgment can often be can often be one of subtle or overt arrogance. Um, in other words, we do not take this subject seriously enough. And more often than not, that kind of dismissiveness can stem from pride or poor theological understanding around all that it means. I remember a while back being at a small uh, Bible study prayer time uh, in a church. And one of the people leading that time was certain in their conviction that the judgment, what we're looking at today, what is described in our passage this morning in Revelation 20, did not need to be of any concern for believers. This was this person's conviction. It was his belief that we would not be judged. Therefore, there was no need for us to dwell on it, to think about it, to have any kind of conscious focus towards it as we sought to live out our Christian life day to day. This is what he taught, this is what he said. But we will see in a moment that is so contrary to what we see in our passage in Revelation 20 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So avoidance, arrogance, and the final response that we can have towards a subject is one of apathy. Apathy. And I think this is perhaps something that many of us struggle with when it comes to thinking and reflecting and even talking about a subject of judgment. And a big reason for why it is we carry apathy is because of what this subject is associated and connected with. So you spend time digging into the scriptures and understanding judgment, and you can very easily find yourself thinking about what happens at the end of the world, the last times. So any discussion around the judgment of Christ can very easily veer towards a discussion, a focus, a study, on the millennial reign of Christ and all the different things that's going to happen in this world at the very end. And such is a can of worms 
that this can open, that we decide we're not going to look at any of it. And so we include judgment within that category. Uh, let me just encourage you this morning, whether it be judgment, whether, whether it be any aspect of what happens at the end of the world, take time. Take time to understand it. Take time to study it. Take time to meditate on it. Take time to pray about it. And let what you learn through the Word of God and the Spirit of God sanctify you so that you become more and more like Jesus. I think we all need a fresh reminder this morning of the absolute necessity of these words from Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And that includes all that the Bible says about judgment and about the end of the world. So as we study our passage this morning in Revelation 20 and 2 Corinthians 5, we can all take great encouragement that these words are going to make us stronger in the Lord. If we have an openness to what God's word says, we can take great encouragement that these words are going to change us and transform us when we receive them and when we apply them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we think about judgment, let us therefore not be a people who avoid this subject as believers. Let's not be arrogant around this subject and let us not be apathetic towards this subject because it seems too overwhelming uh, for us. Instead, let's be attentive. Let's be attentive to these words that we find in Revelation 20, 2 Corinthians 5, and so many other passages of Scripture. And let's be open to how the Spirit of God leads us through the Word of God. So from this passage, <clears throat> as we seek to be attentive, there are four things I would want you to see that will without question help us carry a biblical understanding of God's judgment towards all of us. Uh, and the first, the first thing I would want us to focus on is in verse 11, the throne. The throne. Have a look at verse 11 of our passage in Revelation 20. John says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. Now, a throne is something that most of us will generally understand. When we think about a throne, we often think about a seat of royalty, a seat that represents their position, a seat which would normally carry authority and sovereignty. And the picture of a throne is something that we also find in Scripture, not primarily from an earthly perspective, although there are examples of earthly thrones in Scripture, but the biblical image of a throne is primarily from a heavenly perspective. And this biblical image of the throne is important for us to understand because it helps us to understand more clearly the one who sits on the throne. So as we think about the throne, we have to think about the one who sits on the throne. When we read the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 and in verse 1, Isaiah has what can only be described as this, this powerful, this awe-inspiring vision of God and who is on the throne? This is what he says, Isaiah's words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. 
His glory fills the whole earth. So this is Isaiah's undeniable moment of reverence towards God. And the throne is central to all that Isaiah sees. And it's from the throne that Isaiah sees God and his greatness. It is from this position, from this seat, that Isaiah sees his otherness. Isaiah recognises in this moment, this, this is God and I am not God. Without question, I am not God, but he is God. And as we study this picture in Revelation 20, what we're also reminded of is that the God that we worship, the one who will sit in the white throne of judgment, is ultimately transcendent, transcendent. And that might be a, a fancy theological term for you. Don't be intimidated by it. The word simply means that he is not like you and I. God is not like you and I. God is other. He's other. Now, in one sense, God is like us. He became a man. He lived amongst us. He understands how weak we all are. But in another really important sense, he is God. And we are not God. He is creator. And we are created. He is holy. And we are unholy. And it's for all these reasons that we stand before this throne of judgment, the place where Jesus sits in all of his otherness. And as we think about the throne, we're also reminded that our God is ultimately sovereign. He's transcendent and he's also sovereign overall. In other words, he has full and complete control and authority over our world, over our lives and over our future. And this supreme authority over all things means that we cannot ignore God. None of us can ignore him. We all one day have to stand before him and we all will promise, we all will give an account before this holy God. All of which is consistent with what Jesus himself says in John 5 and verses 22 to 23, and it'll be up on the screen for us. Jesus says, the Father in fact judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That's quite incredible. The Father gives Jesus, this position of judgment. Jesus continues, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone, who's the, anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So the white throne of judgment, it's a place where the transcendent and sovereign Jesus sits and he sits on this throne to judge. And if there was one thing you need to do this morning, you have to carry a vision of Jesus on that throne. We all need to do that in our lives. That will nurture reverence and awe in our hearts. And let me encourage you this morning, as I encourage myself, let that vision change you. Let that vision even disturb you out of your own comfort so that the deepest desire of your life is to please him out of a wholehearted love for him. So this leads us on to the next picture in Revelation 20. And it's a picture of the dead, the dead. The first part of verse 12, uh, John says this, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. So we have the throne, we have the one who is seated on the throne, and the dead, great and small, are all standing before the throne. And to understand these words of John, we need to direct our hearts again to what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 9 through to 10. And particularly verse 10, Paul says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid 
for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So John says the words great and small, and he says this phrase great and small as a way of describing every single person who has ever lived in the history of humanity. And the Apostle Paul echoes these words of John by saying, we must all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So believers, non-believers, all of us, every single person in all of human history will stand before this white throne of judgment, which is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you must understand this is not an invitation. This is not an invitation towards the throne. You have absolutely no choice in this matter. You are being summoned. You're being summoned. Just like a court of law summons, the demand has been placed on your life to attend. When it comes to judgment, there is no bypassing this. None whatsoever. We don't just show up casually. We all have to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and face this judgment. There's absolutely no choice in the matter. Now, some of you may ask this morning, why? Why is this? Why must we all face God's judgment? And you might ask that because in your heart of hearts, you have these two categories. You have the good guys and the bad guys. It's quite possible this morning you think, I understand why the bad need to be judged, like murderers, con artists, sex offenders. But why does judgment need to fall on those who are good? But you need to understand this morning, there are no good in this world. No one apart from Jesus can enter beyond death with a sinless record in their lives. Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We have been true to that promise of Genesis chapter 3. And therefore, because this is true, <clears throat> we are a part of these descriptions of Revelation 20 and 2 Corinthians 5. We will all have to stand before a holy God and face his judgment. And this is one of the few verses that we are inside. We can look at this verse and we can say, my name, I am in this verse. I'm going to have to one day stand before this holy God. Take heart this morning. This judgment carries an important purpose. It's never been for God judgment for the sake of judgment. This is not who God is. The judgment that's been described here in Revelation 20 has to take place in order for God to bring about the consummation of all things, in order that God's bigger plan can be fulfilled. So in the passage immediately after Revelation 20, we see a renewal of all things. John writes in Revelation, Revelation 21 and in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So God is therefore bringing every single person into judgment and defeating death and sin in order to completely renew his creation, in order to establish for himself a redeemed people. So these are powerful descriptions for you and I to ponder. And this morning, I just want to encourage you, take these words seriously. I know there's been a lot in that, but we have to take these words seriously. The invitation is there for us to wholeheartedly consider what this day is going to look like. And we also have to consider the fact that it won't be an invitation. 
it will be a summons. So are you open to this? Are you receptive to the fact that you will have to give an account of your life before God? And do you recognize this morning that you being judged is what has to happen in order for a new heaven and a new earth to be established? Because none of us right now in our current state can walk into this new heaven and new earth. We are broken people and we need to be changed and transformed after the judgment. So this brings us on to the third picture we find within this passage. And I recognize I'm flying through all of this, but it's just so important. Uh, number three is the books. The books. So we have the throne, we have the dead, and the third picture is the books. Second part of verse 12. Um, have a look at this. John writes, And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is a book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. So when we speak of the books, what we mean are two separate things. We mean the books, but we also mean the book. So there's the books and the book. And on the white throne of judgment, there will be the books and there will be the book. And some of you are looking pretty confused. Let me explain. Inside the books, there will be a record of every single thing you have ever done in your life. So all of the good, all of the bad, absolutely everything. And we know this because John says here in verse 12, the dead, all of us, were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. So everything that you have ever thought, said, or done that was for God will be recorded in these books, plural. And everything that you have ever thought, said, or done that was against God will equally be recorded in those books. In other words, there will be no escaping everything, and I mean everything you have ever thought, said, or done before this holy God. It will all be contained within these books. It's quite a thought for us this morning. And it's important we understand this morning there's correlation between the books and the book. If your name is in the book of life, then there will be undeniable evidence of a fruitful and righteous life within the books. So if your name is in the book, there will be evidence of this in the books. The Apostle Paul highlights this in Romans 2 and verses 6 to 8. And what we see here is a focus on what a life that is written in the book of life looks like. So it's not just that your name's in the book of life. There has to be evidence that your name ought to be in the book of life. And what a life that's not written in the book of life will also look like is what Paul describes here in Romans 2. So he says this, Romans 2, 6 to 8, He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in, in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. This is something we also see in Revelation 13. And verse 8, the necessary connection between the book of life and the books. The Apostle John writes, all those who live on the earth will worship, will worship it, speaking of the beast. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of a lamb who is slain. So those 
who worship the beast will not have their names written in the book of life. So I hope we see the connection there. If our lives are unrighteous consistently, then our names will not be written in the book of life. And it's not that our works determine whether our name is in the book of life, but there is an undeniable connection between the two. All of us, I think, ought to make sense for each one of us this morning because we all know deep down the root of our lives determine the fruit of our lives. We know that deep down. Who you are, who you are as a person is what you will do. Righteous does what righteous is. Unrighteous does what unrighteous is. We read these words of Jesus in Matthew 7 and verses 16 to 20. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. So a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. And this is something that's also so powerfully echoed in James chapter 2. And this is something we're going to be looking at uh, next month. James 2 verse 26. James says, For just as a body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. What a challenge. John Piper describes it like this. And I feel this is a helpful description as we understand Revelation 20. He says, Our deeds confirm that our names are in the book and should be in the book. That is, they confirm that we trust Christ and are united to him. Our deeds are the fruit of our faith and union with Christ. So our deeds are evidence that our name is actually written in the book. So as we understand the significance of the books in the book in Revelation 20, you and I can take encouragement. I hope we're encouraged this morning that we're not saved by works. None of us are saved by works. It's not about us doing all these good things, which is what so many religious systems and faiths believe. If we do all these good things and we work really hard, then we will be saved. No, we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. So if God really has changed us, then the fruit of that will be a life of righteous living. And if you and I want to know if your faith is genuine, if we want to know if we really are believers, it's very easy for us just to examine our lives and, and see as our deepest desire, as our longing to live for God over and above anything else in this world. What does the fruit of your life tell you? What does the fruit of your life tell you? Does the evidence of your life point to the fact that you really do love Jesus and you really do want to live for him with all that you are? Look at your life. That will be the indicator as, as to whether or not you really have got it in the first place. So I'm not talking here about sinless perfectionism. So none of us who are in Christ will live this life completely free from the grip of sin. We'll all sin. Even when we are in Christ, we all sin. Nor are we talking about the volume of our obedience overriding the volume of our disobedience. In other words, we're not saying that Christians will have more good works um, than bad works when these books are opened. That's not what we're talking about. What we're saying this morning is that when the books have been opened and your life story has been read out 
The conclusion of your life is one that says, here is someone who loved God, here is someone who lived for God from the inside out. The end conclusion of the entirety of your life will be one that says, this person loved God, this person lived for God. And that's confirmation that your name was in the book of life. So when I think about the books in the book, I can't help but think about the thief on the cross. How do we understand that? That person, uh, the thief hung on the cross and he said to Jesus as he was dying alongside him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He sought forgiveness from God in the very, very, very last moment of his life. And Jesus said, welcome. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now his books will be opened and it will be pages upon pages of unrighteousness, a living for self, a life of sin, right up until the very last paragraph of the last page. And it's only when you read the entirety of his life and you get to the very end, you get to the very end of his life, that you'll see, yes, the conclusion of his life is this. He was someone who clearly loved God and lived for God from the inside out. So mess after mess, sin after sin, and the last paragraph of the last page, that's the conclusion. And it all points to the fact that it was God's grace. It wasn't his works. It was God's grace towards him. And in that regard, the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, 6, are true for the thief on the cross, without question are true for every single one of us as well. Paul says, I am sure of this. He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, i.e. the day of judgment. So it's what happens at the end. How do we conclude our lives as we live for him? Does it all make sense, guys? There's a lot in that I recognise, but it's so important. This, this leads us on to the, the final and central image that we find within this passage, the judgment, uh, verses 12 through to 15. To understand what we mean by this, we're just going to read <clears throat> verse 12 to 15 again in their entirety. So John writes this, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is a book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And again, 2 Corinthians 5, 9-10, Paul says, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's so important we understand this morning there's going to be two different kinds of judgment in this precise moment in Romans 20. The judgment of unbelievers and the judgment of believers. And whatever category we find ourselves in, we will give an account for our lives. We will give an account for our lives. And in each category, there will be an outcome of where we will be eternally. It will determine where we go. We don't just remain in judgment. We will go somewhere after the judgment. 
For unbelievers, their names will not be in the book of life. They will be judged by the unrighteous, by the unrighteousness and sin that has defined their lives day after day. And for believers, their names will be in the book of life. And that entry will have determined how they live their lives day after day, what we've just shared. For the unbeliever, their eternal destiny will be an eternal conscious punishment in a place separate from God, hell. For the believer, their eternal destiny will be with God forever in perfect union with him. And there are two other points we need to take hold of this morning as we think about this judgment. First of all, John describes this book in Revelation 13.8 as a book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The book of life of the Lamb who was slain. This shows us this morning our names are in the book of life because Jesus was a Lamb who was slain. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for each one of us. The only reason why we are in this book is because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. This was not by our own effort. It was not by our hard work. It was by his effort and his hard work for you and for me. Amen? Amen. Secondly, it's also important we recognize this morning that our names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the earth. Again, this is going to blow your mind. Our names were in the book of life before the foundation of the earth. What we read in Revelation 13, 8. So the implication is that God knew who were his before the beginning of creation, he knew us by name. By name. He, he knew that we were his. If we are in Christ, then we are elect. God chose us before the foundations of the earth. And Jesus describes this in Matthew 25 and, and 34. We read these words. Then the king will say to those in his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So if our names are written in the book of life, the eternal result is that we will be with Jesus forever in eternity. And that's, that's incredible news. We will be with Jesus in his presence for billions and billions and billions of years. And this is something TG is going to look at next week as we think about heaven. So if that's true, if all of this is true, why is it that believers face the judgment that we are all promised to face? If we know where we are going, if our names are in the book of life and this guarantees our presence with Jesus forever, why do we have to face this judgment? And the answer to that is a very simple <clears throat> but very important one. Our judgment will not be penal. It will not be about punishment. Instead, our judgment will determine the reward we're going to receive. This judgment we face if we are in Christ is an evaluation of how faithful we have been. So we're going to be assessed on how it is we served Christ in the church. And based upon that evaluation, we will one day receive a reward. And if that's something you've never heard of before, or maybe that's something you struggle with, maybe you push back on that, let me just encourage you with these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. And verses 14 to 15, Paul says this, speaking of our lives, if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we will receive a reward. 
if we're in Christ. And it will be based on how it is we have lived our lives day to day. And the problem we have as believers in the West is that we don't ever think about this. We very rarely think about the fact that all that we do day to day will have eternal impact, that we will receive a reward or we will not receive a reward based upon how we live our lives today. We come to faith in Christ at some point in our lives and we can so easily just go with the cultural flow and we don't take stock of what we do and why we do it. We do not have the reality of judgment and the promise of eternal rewards on our hearts and on our minds. We just kind of go about our days thinking about earthly things, not thinking about eternity, not thinking about the fact that what we do in our lives will have impact beyond this life. But I want you to understand this morning, God's word is clear. Our ordinary day-to-day -day lives will carry eternal significance. And there are so many passages on this. And if you want, I can direct you to them after our time today. And you will, the promise is, you will be judged according to how much we made Christ and his bride, the church, the centre of our lives. We will be assessed. And what we build our lives on will, in fact, carry a significance that will go right into eternity. So do not miss out on this reward that you can have both today and for the rest of your life, all the way into eternity. We have this great opportunity to love God, to love one another, to experience his grace more and more on earth, also to receive the reward as we go into eternity. So as we close this morning, I hope we have a much fuller picture of what judgment is for both believer and unbeliever. And in light of all that we've spent time looking at, my invitation to you this morning is to is not to try, not to try, not to think that your life and its eternal state is dependent upon how hard do you work for Jesus? This is just our, our default natural setting. We'll, we'll think to ourselves, I need to work really hard on my own strength to achieve all that Mark has just spoken about. That's not what it's about. That's the opposite of what God is calling us to do and who he calls us to be. Instead, I invite you to trust. So don't try, but trust. Trust in the one who has already written your name in the book of life. It's already there. We don't need to try we need to trust in the one who's going to see us through the incredible worshipful response that you can make today and this week and for the rest of your life is one that thinks says and does out of love if we trust God then we love God so if we choose to trust God then we will love him with all that we are and we will love in the way that God has called us to love as we engage with one another and as we engage with those who have yet to know Christ so let me close with these words of Jesus and let these words be a foundation and a fuel for your life. One that is all out, one that is surrendered to him, one that is expectant of how God might use you in these days. John 5, 24, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Amen. <clears throat> so if, if we pass from, from death to life, it's because we have believed. And this morning, as we always do as a church family, we come to this table. And as we come to this table, we recognise that we love the Lord. If, if we do love the Lord today, we come to this table 
if our names truly are in the book of life, we have the freedom to approach this table and to recognise all that Christ has done for us. And we can do so giving thanks that he has made this possible for us, that this dividing wall of hostility between God and us has been broken down, it's been removed, and we have this relationship with God. We have eternal life. Eternal life is now. Eternal life is now. We have a relationship with him. And this leads to us being changed and transformed and becoming more and more like him. So we come to this table and worship. We come with expectation. We come with thanksgiving for all that God has done or all that God will do in the future. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. And in the same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So we take this bread as a church family. We drink this cup as a church family. And as we do so, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And when he returns, we will all face the judgment. We will all give an account for our lives. And if our names are in the book of life, we will all be with Jesus forever. So these are difficult things for us to understand, but vital things. And ultimately, if we are in Christ, these are joyous things for us to take hold of. Let's pray together as we respond in worship. So Father, we, we thank you for uh, the opportunity we've had to reflect on this subject. We recognise that it is hard for us to, to understand. Hard in the sense that that it can be uncomfortable. But I pray, Lord, that you would comfort us with your love, that you would fill us with your peace, that you would grant us a life that is lived out and the ordinary stuff of life, we would be eternally expectant, that we would live in light of the rewards uh, that you want to give us. And it wouldn't be about gaining a reward, it would be about loving you and expecting great things from you. So Lord, would you help us, would you bless us, would you fill us with your spirit, and would you help us as we respond to your song and as we come to this table. We love you, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.